This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Welcome to the Circuit of Success, and thank you for joining me. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait, but I believe the opposite. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude, a great belief system, and action every single day. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision, that's when greatness happens. Now let's dive right in to this week's guest. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today... I'm excited, man, because I've got a guy from my hometown of Mattoon, Illinois, by the name of Will Leach. Will, how you doing? Uh, very well, thank you uh, very much for having me. I will talk. Uh, I will try not to bear down, uh, wear down the listeners by talking just Matt Toon stuff for the rest of my time. But <laughs> exactly. I will talk about Matt Toon uh, forever as long as you'll have me. Thanks for having there, me. There's a lot to talk about, man. We're very lucky with where we grew up, aren't we? I, I think so. You know, I think not just where we grew up, but really the time that we grew Absolutely. up. Absolutely. I know Matt Toon's gone through a lot of changes. I think since we were there, uh, but certainly, you know, to to have the the kind of that traditional like there was like a traditional downtown and we all hung out at the burger king and right. went to the movie theater together and a lot of stuff that uh, i think gets nostalgized a little bit i think we were very fortunate enough to get to have yeah. the original burger king i'll say too. exactly exactly not right. not that not where that, that weird corporate monstrosity i mean exactly the legitimate burger king though i do find the commercials uh kind of funny that's right. So I've had uh, Larry Smith, you know, big time CNN and then uh, Washington, D.C. Now we've got Chris Hollander, assistant basketball coach at Mizzou and now Will Leach. So we're going to have some fun today, man. But for those of uh, our listeners that may not know who Will Leach is, once not you give us a little background? Who Will Leach is? What's made you the man you are today? Oh well, that's a, that's a that's a terrifying question. If we start going down those halls, uh, uh, we'll all be, be wallowing in despair. Uh, I can just I'll, instead, I'll just give you. Yeah, basically, I uh, I probably most well known, uh, I would say, for having founded uh, the sports site Deadspin. Uh, I founded it in two thousand five. Basically, it's funny to think of now because Deadspin is a massive. They have like uh, an editorial staff near 50 and like an ad sales staff and this who huge big corporation now but you know when i was doing it it, it was you know me <laughs> so it's a very it's a very kind of funny thing to, to watch it get so big and i'm very excited and very delighted to be a part of it but you know i am a writer you know i i think i was very uh i went to college at the university of illinois i graduated in uh, 1997 graduated from mattoon high school in 1993 and i all i ever wanted to do was write uh, my hero growing up uh, was roger ebert uh, who went to the University of Illinois and uh, is from mm-hmm. Champaign, Illinois. Uh, and one of the things I loved about his writing is it was very humanist and warm and he could write about anything. He wrote about movies, but he was really writing about the world. So, and, and, and you know, for a kid from Mattoon to see uh, a guy from, from Champaign on television every day, I think people forget how big Cisco and Ebert were when they were on yeah. television. I watched them on WAND every Saturday at 5.30. So I uh, think we'd set the VCR if, uh, if they didn't have it. So I just <laughs> wanted to do that. I wanted to write. I had no interest in like being an entrepreneur or being like a, a, cap, a, a really a big uh, money-making uh, endeavor. I just wanted to write, you know, uh, and I was very fortunate. I feel like a lot of uh, any success story, if anyone is being honest, truly honest, uh, is really just circumstance and being in the right place at the right time. And I, uh, was fortunate when I graduated from the university of Illinois, I moved to Los Angeles to work as a film critic, uh, which was only a one year job. It was always going to be a one year job. So I moved back to the Midwest and worked for the sporting news in St. Louis. But while I was there, 
I met a guy who, a coworker who was starting a website. And I was like, wow, websites are awesome. I can just write as long as I want and say whatever <laughs> I want to for free. I don't care if I get paid for it. I just get to write. And for me, that was very important to kind of develop my voice and figure out what was going to work and what what connected with audiences and and what I was good at. And so I was there the early days of the web. I mean, you know, I'm at the age where I didn't get my first email address until I was a senior in college. So so I because of that, I was there at kind of the early days of online publishing, understanding how that works. So I had started some of my own sites uh, while still kind of working kind of not so fun jobs during the day, just to kind of develop my voice and get kind of get my name out there. So by the time that what happened with Deadspin was there was a uh, Gawker Media, which now I think is probably known for a lot of people for being the Hulk Hogan place, but at the time uh-huh. was uh, considered one of the top uh, uh, one of the top online journalism places around. They liked my work and asked me if I wanted to write for them. And I said, you know what? You guys should do a sports site because I'd worked as a sports journalist before and found it limiting, to be entirely honest, and felt like uh, there was a way to do a sports site uh, in a way that was fun and engaging to, with fans without uh, getting caught up in all the press box kind of banter stuff. And so I started Deadspin. I had no, I did not think it would be a big deal. <laughs> I thought, I thought the very least it would last six months and I'd be able to have some clips to show to greater, larger publications. And it took off. I think there was clearly an audience for it. And I was lucky to kind of be there uh, first. And so Deadspin became big. I was very fortunate. Uh, and so I, I worked at Deadspin for three years. I still am friends with everyone that works there. And I, and the people that took over for me were, have all been friends of mine. I'm very, I'm very lucky that they've made the site bigger after I left. But now I write for New York Magazine. I host a show on Sports Illustrated. Uh, I, uh, I review films with my Matt Toon uh, friend, Tim Grierson. And uh, basically, uh, we'll write uh, for the New York Times and whoever will have me while still recognizing that the first line of my obituary will probably always be Deadspin. And fortunately, they're still <laughs> doing great work every day that I get the benefits from their great work Absolutely. without actually having to do anything. I like it. And, and, and I think you're kind of being humble here because it, it became the largest sports blog like in the world, right? Yeah, it certainly uh, it was. It got pretty massive pretty fast, uh, faster than I was necessarily ready for it to be. You know, I still kind of felt my it was kind of a I was ba- kind of raised in the world of alternative weeklies like the Village Voice and uh, uh, L.A. Weekly and those kind of you know non traditional media. And I think that's been got really big really fast. I think there was a sense that it needed to try to become an ESPN or at least like a bar stool. Uh, type of thing. And I was never, I, I felt like I needed to grow more organically than that, uh, which also is one of the reasons that I, I, I handed over the editorship to someone else. Uh, but yeah, it's massive. <laughs> like it really is. That's to awesome. this day, it kind of blows me away. Probably the most famous story that Deadspin ever did, which was after my time. But again, another thing I get credit for was uh, the, there was basically a before and after for Deadspin's history. And the before and after that mo- pivot moment is the Manti Teo story. If everyone oh, remembers yeah. the Manti Teo story, the, the Notre Dame football player with the fake girlfriend deadspin is the one that broke that story and it was kind of the perfect deadspin story that was what deadspin Hmm. was kind of founded to do was to take these media narratives that these kind of generally kind of lazily accepted facts and to poke them and point at them and say is this true is this really the thing to to kind of uh, take the air out of people that were maybe overly inflated and that story became the perfect story. It became a massive story. A then unknown real estate venture uh, person named Donald Trump uh, famously <laughs> tweeted uh, about the story and got in a fight with Deadspin about it. And uh, it was after that story, 
Desmond was big before that story, but after that story, it really became a, a pretty massive player in a way that, again, I'm I'm very lucky uh, to have been a, kind of along for the ride for it. And now to this day, you know, Deadspin is I say it's a it is a massive operation on its own, let alone just the thing of me, you know, typing into little boxes yeah. and being saved, which is what it was when I did it. Well, I think it's cool to think too. Back uh, being kids, and again in Mattoon is you, you know yet Tim Grierson, who you mentioned, who you know writes and does movie critics and does stuff for the Oscars. I mean, all that kind of stuff. And then you also have Luke Ryan, right? I think he was in your Luke class, was, wasn't he? In your absolutely. Class? Yep. Yeah. yeah, he so, was in my graduating class. I think he. I think he left for private school for high school, but he was in junior high. He was in middle school with us. Okay. I, of course, I knew Luke very well. So it's you know it's one of those things. It's like I look back as a kid. Luke was my neighbor, and I just remember him saying this is before kids even had, you know, can't like video cameras and all this stuff, but he would, they were, they were making movies and doing things. And I'm sure you're part of that crew back then. I think how cool that you early on decided what you want to do and start to follow those dreams. And so what was the mindset like when you left and you went, you go to LA, so you leave small Mattoon, Illinois, you go to LA and then ultimately you go to New York city for what, 13 years. I mean, how do you, how do you make that transition and actually become somebody? I knew what I wanted to do very early on. I knew what I wanted to do. And so therefore I didn't get distracted. You know, I have friends that, uh, that were smart and wanted to be journalists or wanted to write or wanted to produce something, but you know, their parents are like, maybe you should go to law school. And I don't know. I heard, I heard journalism is kind of hard and, and they got distracted. And next thing you knew, they're doing fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a lawyer, but the thing that they really wanted to do, they weren't purely focused on it. And I was purely focused on it in a way that was often detrimental. I spent my first five years uh, in New York answering phones at doctor's offices and stuffing envelopes for a living and, and doing a lot of odd jobs just to kind of keep my head afloat uh, in New York because I felt like I needed to be in New York for media stuff. I felt like if I was going to work in media, New York was the place I needed to be, but I didn't have any contacts. I didn't know. There was no Matt Toon alumni network (laughs) in New York. Uh, Like I had to kind of just, you know, do it on my own a little bit. And uh, I don't know if I would have made it through that if I wasn't sure of what I wanted to do. Uh, And when when you're sure of what you want – Everything else is just kind of periphery. Everything you, you're tunnel visioned on that thing, so nothing was going to distract me from it. Even even failure, <laughs> even right. like like being poor and destitute and having my parents be like, "Are you sure New York is the place for you?" Will <laughs> and listen, my, when I was 29 years old, I mean, Deadspin did not launch until right before my 30th birthday. Like that was a lot of time post college yeah. where everyone's like, "Well, we always thought of Will as smart, but he doesn't." <laughs> seem to be really doing anything as smart as we thought he was yeah and i and i think that was i remember a conversation i had with aj delorio who's the guy that took over deadspin for me is one of my closest friends in the world and it's probably also very closely associated with the hulk hogan situation but i remember we were in our 20s and we were talking one night and uh and neither one of us had done anything we both knew what we wanted to do but we were both failing and uh he said so what are you gonna do like you know if we're like 40 and we still haven't made it <laughs> like what do we do if we broke if, if if we're still trying right now we're still failing and we're still pushing it what are you gonna do and i said well this right <laughs> like you have to do this right. like you have to be committed to fail and you have to be committed to make this the thing and uh and for me that was 
the key. I think if I had not done that, I might have given up. It was I was there were some pretty lousy times there for a while, but because I knew exactly what I wanted to do and was committed to it, there was no backup plan. Backup plans often become the the actual plan at the first sign of turmoil. So for me, I had no backup plan. This is what I was going to do. And because of that, when opportunity did arise, I was ready and I was prepared and I was mature enough because I'd seen, I knew what it was like to not succeed. By the time I, the opportunity did rise, I pounced as opposed to being like, I don't know, should I do this? This is going to be hard. I knew what I was, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew this was a step in the direction to do it. And because of that, I think I was ready to succeed when it happened. And so would you say that, I mean, obviously hard work is in there, right? So when you, when you hear people say hard work, and I know even today I was reading the article you wrote about raising boys and not just hard work gets you where you're going, but what's, what's that mean to you when you hear hard work? Yeah. Listen, my, my father's an electrician. Uh, uh, my mom was a nurse, uh, Sarah Bush. My dad was an electrician for CIPS slash Ameren uh, in Mattoon. And you know, my mindset about writing, I think writing is the type of thing people often want to be writers. I'd love to be a writer, but they don't right. mean it. They want they, they want to theoretically be thought of as a writer. But writing is like it's just work. It's just work. It's just shutting up and making a shelf. And uh, and you know, I there was never a time where my mom. I, but people talk about writer's block, and it's like, come on, like no one goes to a nurse and says and says, oh, are you feeling it today? Can you take care of a patient today? Are you going to be all right? Like you shut up and work. Like you work, you do your job, and you do it well, and then you move on to the next job, and you do that one well too, and then hopefully you've done that for forty years. And at the end of it, you can say, look, I did work, good work for forty years. That to me is the most important part of any industry, and I think because writing and because creating and because like running a website, it's considered creative and it is creative, but it's still work and it's a job. And and I think for me, I was very lucky to have parents that instilled that in me that no matter what I was going to do, I was expected to work hard on it. And I was expected to do the best I could and to never say, oh, this is too hard. I don't want to try it. Like that was the worst. I, that was the worst thing I could have possibly said to my parents. And I feel this way raising my my boys as well. I have two sons now. I live in Athens, Georgia, and I have two sons now. And that is my wife and I both feel that the same way. Like we don't really care how well you do. You just have to do it. This is the job. And I think that's really benefited me in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's made me less of a diva. Uh, about this stuff. I, I handle uh, rejection and failure very well because that's all right. I'll just go out and do it again tomorrow. And I feel like that is so key to any field uh, is you have to have, you have to be cheerful about failures and you have to put work in perspective. Like there's no reason people just get down. Like I understand, look, it's hard. The economy is up a little bit now, but it's been, it's difficult. It's hard for people coming out of college. It's hard for people trying to build something. I get it. It's very difficult. And there's a lot of people, particularly at that age, when you're like in your twenties, late mid twenties, late twenties, early thirties, where all of a sudden, okay, you're going to have a family right. or you got to all the other, all the other things your, your parents start wondering, are you, whether you're going to be okay? I get it. I went through that I remember what that was like, but I knew, at least I, I didn't know, but I certainly trusted and believed and ultimately turned out to be correct that if I just do this right, if I just just work on getting better and never and never turn down an assignment and never am never late and never not do a good job, 
it has to pay off at some point. And I firmly believe that is true in any field. And obviously it's not true for every individual, but I do think it's a pretty good baseline to kind of start out with. I 100% agree. And I I think too, I'm going to coin this phrase. I've never thought of it this way, but I'm going to call it the bounce back theory. And so what I mean by that is the most successful people I've seen, you have a short-term memory, you bounce back pretty quickly from defeat, right? Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, I think you have. I think you can't even consider it defeat. It's just right. uh, like a, just another thing that happened. <laughs> and, yeah. and I think this is good. You know, I, I know that this is not a guy that people like to quote very much anymore. But Woody Allen has a great line about this, where he why people ask him why he doesn't read reviews. He never reads reviews of his movies. He's like, well, I can't get ex- I can't ignore the bad stuff and get excited about the good stuff. Like you have to just do the work. And I feel like that's actually a really key thing. Yep. I don't get too excited about praise either. Like I, you can't ever get too excited about like, like, sure. I'm very happy that Deadspin's done well. And I've been very fortunate. I'm, I think my work, I, I, I'll stand behind my work. I think I do a good job with it, but you can't ever be like, aha, now I did it. I'm so great. Like you can't, yeah, you can't because that's, that's defeating the whole purpose. That's reading the reviews. And for me, the same way that when I would get bad news and people would say, we don't like your stuff, you're not hired, you're bad, uh, we don't want you to do this job, we uh, like the same, or do they say basically what happens to you when you write anything on the internet ever? <laughs> Anytime that you ever do that, you have to you have to understand that the person that you have to please, the person that you're, you're driving is you. You don't have to worry about what other people are. It doesn't The world outside, you cannot control it. All you can control is the work that you do and your reaction to how things go with you. And I think if you keep a positive attitude and realize this is all just work and let the work itself be a reward, I suspect there will be other rewards coming for you later. Amen. So talk to us about the days you didn't want to do it, right? There's, I mean, obviously you're having to write stories, you're having to do stuff, you're having to make calls and send in articles, I'm sure, to try to get them published and all the things you got to do every day. But not every day did Will Leach want to wake up and, you know, just it was 72 and sunny and you wanted to get to work. So what were the habits? What were the rituals that you had to fight through to make sure you still showed up and worked hard every day? Yeah, I actually have worked out of home. This is a really thing I feel always very guilty about saying. I have not worked in an offense since March of 2005. <laughs> I've been oh. working out of home for that yeah. long. And the question I always get asked is, wow, how do you do it? Don't you just want to go to – there's a bed right there. Why don't you go take a nap? Right. There's, a, there's a TV right there. Why don't you go watch TV? And to me, I actually have the the opposite problem, which is I'm always at work. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm always at work. And it's been more moderating it in, in the other direction. But that's – the kind of key is – really never being satisfied. Like you just can't be, you just cannot be satisfied ever unless, I mean, listen, fine. If you've sold your company for $80 million and you want to go live on an Island somewhere, more power to you. Okay. You can be satisfied. <laughs> you yeah. can be absolutely satisfied. Go enjoy your Island. But I think if you're going to be in the game, whatever field that you're in, if you're going to be in the game, you can't ever feel like, aha, I've made it and I deserve your respect. One of the things I really like about on about the internet, and I've had someone that remembers life before the internet, One, there are many things not to like about the internet, but one thing that I do like about the internet is you gotta, like, you gotta keep bringing it. Like, you have to, there's no, like, like, oh, well, don't you know who I am? Like, yeah, you're just another schmuck on Twitter like me. And right. I like that about that. Like, I like that everybody kind of gets, if you'll forgive the phrase, uh, kind of gets the piss taken out of them a little bit. Uh, and that you have to defend it. You have to make the work and you have to keep doing it at all times. I think that's really important. And so because of that, I that's always going to motivate me uh, is – 
if I'm not working, it was funny. There was, I, I had a brief, uh, I worked for Sports on Earth, which is a site that just shut down. And I uh, it was owned by MLB. And I had a week's transition before I went to go write for Major League Baseball. And so there was a week where I did not have a lot of work to do. And I drove everybody in my life very crazy. <laughs> I was <laughs> right. making them nuts all that week because I'm so wired to work and to wired to create and wired to do things. And I think you have to be to, to for whatever your field is. If you, uh, I mean, I know it's a cliche, but it is absolutely true. Find out the thing that you like to do and do it for the rest of your life. Right. And that's a successful life. Uh, like, like if you have that and you have family, I don't know how you can go wrong. And so knock on wood, uh, the world's a big world. I'm not that old. There's plenty of things that could go wrong. But uh, so far, uh, I've been able to, I, I have the same drive to try to do things and to do good work and to get people to see it as I did before Deadspin ever happened when no one was reading me and no one was paying me. I have that same drive because I'm driven. I was never driven by the success or the money of it in the first place. I was driven by doing good work. And so I'm always going to be driven by that. Yeah. So there's a huge, huge passion for what you're doing. And that if you don't have the passion, it's going to be hard to be successful in my opinion. Yeah. And you can't fake it. You really right. can't fake it. Right. So talk to me about fears. I mean, uh, our, our fellow listeners that listen all the time, they know where we're going with this question, but the fears in your life uh, and in your business life, when you were trying to make it, and even to this day, the fears you put in your mind, tell me about those. I was back in, um, I was back in Mattoon for, uh, they had an event for our, our, our big 12 winning baseball championship team. <laughs> and I came back and I met some of the players on the team and I hadn't seen them in 20 years. It was great to see them. And it was funny because all of them were basically the same person. <laughs> like they were, they were the same person they were in high school, just like I'm pretty much the same person I was in high right. school. But now they're grownups. And there is this presumption that a high school kid doesn't know what he's doing or she's doing, but a grownup is supposed to have some idea. And of course, the dirty secret of being a grownup is that it's completely untrue and nobody knows anything and we're all winging it and we're all trying to figure it out. It's the whole idea of the imposter uh, syndrome, right? That's, all, that's the whole basis of it is that uh, no matter how well you're doing, someone's just going to tap you on the shoulder and be like, I'm on to you. Like, I know, I know you're not really, uh, you're, you're not all this great. Everybody has that. I think everybody has that regardless of their field. Everyone is that scared high school kid that doesn't know how this is all going to turn out. Even when you're an adult, if that feeling is still within you and we're all just trying to pretend it's not there, we're all pretending to, trying to hide. We're all trying to pretend that like, no, I'm on top of this. Everything is cool. I'm on top of it. And one of the things about becoming an adult is realizing that's not true. And we're all just trying to figure it out. And so that's my fear. It's the same as being a parent that's what being a parent is right it's like having the trying to give your your children the illusion that you have answers and that you actually right. have just this fount of knowledge of what's good for them i think it's a similar kind of instinct and so my fear is the idea is the same fear i think everybody has which is that i'm wrong yeah. <laughs> is that i'm wrong is that uh that i've somehow snuck in by virtue of demographics or snuck in by of circumstance and i've caught a couple breaks and listen i may be right <laughs> that could be correct right. i could I, I that may be right but uh so yeah any sort of the, the fear is always when you care about something enough to try to make it great and have it maybe not actually be that great. That's anybody's fear. Uh, the trick is getting over that fear and making it anyway, yep. uh, no matter how people react. And then the, the fear question I always follow up with is how many of the fears you put in your mind actually came true to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? 
Uh, well, listen, I haven't been attacked by alligators while, while, while being screamed at on national television yet. So uh, they, <laughs> they, they, the, the worst fears haven't been realized, though, again, this, it's only Monday, so there's plenty of time. Right. Uh, but uh, I will say, yeah, I mean, the, the fear – most of my biggest fears when I was younger actually turned out to totally be true – but it's okay because I understand them now. Uh, like that fear of, wait, what if I'm like 42 years old and I still feel like I haven't made it and I still feel like I have something to prove all the time? What if – like when you're 25, that seems like the most terrifying thing in the world because yep. when you're 42, you're supposed to be a grown-up. You're supposed to have got this all this nailed down. Once you're 42, you realize that that 25-year-old doesn't know that you never – that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen when you're 70. You're never going to have that just like sense of self-satisfaction like, ah, I did it and I am awesome. No one, no one that is driven to do anything – can ever really have that idea. So, so my fears were that I was never going to I was never going to get over the hump. And now that I'm older and I realize you're never really over the hump, that is it's a fear being realized, but it's a manageable fear. It's an okay fear. It's a fear that now I realize in 25, when I was 25, I was being pretty irrational. Yeah. Yeah, and I think too. I mean, so my mission I always say is I want people to have a brighter future than their past. And so so many of us are held back by the fears, right? Scared to make that jump to go do what you love to do, scared to stay in the job you're doing and just do it that much better and commit and just and just overwhelm it, right, with success and and passion. And so, you know, I think that's the point is week after week after week, we hear people talk about these fears that they actually have never come true. And so I think we all just need to believe in ourselves more. And so that was my next question is, what was that belief like in yourself that led you to fight through the fear to get to where you're at today? Yeah, it's funny. I think David Mamet has a great line about fear, where, where fear is interest paid on a debt that never comes. Mm, and yeah. I always thought that was like a really great line. And and I and I for me, oh, overcoming fear was really. I'd be lying. There's a part of a delusion, frankly, in being any sort of success. Like there is a part of delusion. I look back at that same 25-year-old who was absolutely certain that he was going to make it. I remember being in like – this is one of the, the, the – everyone listening is going to hate me. Uh, at least hate 25-year-old me when I tell you the story. But I remember when uh, being 25 years old and they had a company meeting – for like a 401k plan. It was me and some other 23-year-old snot. Uh, and we were like, we're going to skip that meeting. We're never going to win a 401k. We're just going to be awesome forever. Yeah. Like we're not going to – like the idea of the future was not existing. You're immortal, you know. But for the record, that's pretty pretty brash for a guy that was 25 years old making $25,000 a year under right. fluorescent lighting in a sad <laughs> building in, uh, in, in, in the Lower East Side. But nevertheless, you know, that's that's the thing of youth, right? Like that's the, like, that's the stupidity of youth. I was convinced that no matter what, I was going to make it. Like no matter what happened, I was going to make it. I, I, I would make it work through for, force of will or whatever. I just believed it was going to happen. Now, 42-year-old me looks at all the things that could have gone wrong <laughs> and all the things that did go wrong and how how the dead spin break couldn't have happened. And I, how might, I might not have been able to be in this spot or might not be able to be in this spot. And I'm like, wow, 25-year-old, you are irrationally confident. You have no idea <laughs> how wrong you are about this. But I might argue that that sort of irrational confidence and certainty that things are going to work out 
is actually a pretty handy tool to have when you're when you're when you're trying to when you're trying to make it. You almost you don't have to know how dumb you are. <laughs> you're you're too dumb to know how how dumb you are. Uh, and I think there's a benefit to that. Yeah. And uh, and I I for me that was the key. Uh, uh, growing up uh, and kind of trying to make it in a very listen, New York media is a very uh, difficult uh, place to kind of fight your way through, and I was just convinced I was going to do it. I get no reason to think that, but I do think it really came in handy. Yeah, I think it's you know, there's no plan B. There's it's burn the burn the bridges, right? Burn the boats because if if you're fully committed, I, in my opinion, you're going to be you know, there's lots of things that go with that, but you, you can't have that plan B, right? And it sounds like you yeah, didn't have that. Yeah, and listen, it's easy for me to say now, talking to you now, because <laughs> uh, like if it hadn't have turned out, you probably you're not asking like, so Will, tell us about your career. Do you have a chance at the third desk at Arby's this week? You're like, you might be third off the counter this week. I'm like, yeah, but my writing career's still coming. Exactly. I'm gonna make it. Like it's it's very easy for me now to say, yep, I was right. But it was circumstance. It was like like it was persistence and it was hard work. And I like to think it was a little bit of talent. But there are tons of people that have tons of talent that don't always catch the breaks. I think that the best you can hope for, I, I would be very wary of saying, if you follow this plan, it will work out for you. But I would say that if you don't have that confidence and that lack of a plan B, it's going to be particularly difficult. It doesn't mean it's going to work for you if that's your plan, but I think it's hard to make it work if you don't. Yep. So what are Will Leach's dreams now? I just want to keep doing this. <laughs> to yeah. be honest, I never, I never had. I've read, I've been able to write books. I've been able to write for the New York Times. I've been able to 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 uh, be on television programs. I never, uh, I'm, I never thought I was going to talk on television. I just wanted to type. You know, the idea of of uh, I'm very fortunate. I as I lived in New York for 13 years, and then I met my wife who was from Columbus, Georgia, and we moved to Athens, Georgia, about five years ago. I'm still able to have my career in New York. I go out there uh, once a month or so, and kind of like meet with everyone that I work for, but then I get to have a normal life in Athens. You know, I think so as, as in any field, when you work in media, you can sometimes spend too much time with media people yeah. and not uh, uh, realize how, you know, normal people are. And uh, so being in Athens to be able to have a home when my kids get to walk to school and I get to see them. And while still having this career, I don't like this is the dream like to be a dog. Like, I don't really have this feel like, okay, now I need an, I need a big New York times bestseller or now I need a TV show. Like I, I, if I can keep this going, knock on wood, if I can keep this going, I will be perfectly satisfied. I am ambitious, but to me, this is the ambition. Like the idea, like I don't need to conquer all worlds. I just need to conquer my world. And if I could continue to do that, I'll be pretty happy. That's beautiful. So let's talk about the circuits of success. So let's start with attitude. When you hear that word, what comes to mind? Uh, I think you have to have a positive attitude. I think that like, uh, obviously it's going to be hard. Right. <laughs> I think that I, it, it can wear you down. Of course it can wear you down. There, there were certainly many moments where I was like, what am I doing? Right. <laughs> like, this is, I guess it's stupid. I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot. What am I, what am I even trying here? And the, key is to power through that because down once you open that door because i've always got self-doubt but once you open the door to eh, this isn't going to work out is it i need to figure out something else it's i mean the game's up yeah. <laughs> it's over at that point and i think that is that is so kind of key for the whole thing so attitude is i don't it's funny 
uh, I've generally been an optimistic person in my life. And I think one of the reasons I've been able to be optimistic is because I've had good parents. I've grown up as a white guy in America and therefore things can't get, I don't have to worry. There, there's certain things that I don't have to worry about. I've not had to worry about that many, many other people have. So it's, I can, it's easy. It's a privilege even to be able to, to be optimistic. Uh, that said, even if it isn't, I encourage you to be optimistic, even if you shouldn't be <laughs> always be optimistic because there's no downside for it. Like the worst case, like, yep, you got disappointed. But so if you were pessimistic, you also got disappointed. Like what? Like I don't see uh, to me, optimism leads to an ability to bounce off of things better. Uh, it leads to uh, get back from uh, return from setbacks. It allows you to see opportunities and what you can positive things that can come out of the opportunities rather than potential pitfalls. I just think optimism is not just an actual state of being, which to be fair, I am a generally optimistic person, but I think it's a strategy. Right. I think it's like I a really it's a smart choice. way to look at the world. Yeah. I, and, and I get it. I know why it's hard. I know it's hard for a lot of people. I've had positive circumstances in my life. That's made it easier for me to be optimistic. That said, like, I, there's no downside to it. Like, there's no downside to trying to be optimistic. Now, it's different to go to someone that's it's very different from that. To, I mean, personally optimistic. Now, that doesn't mean, hey, everything in the world's always going to turn out all right for everybody. Like, that's irrational. Right. And, like, that's, that's just putting your head in the sand. But as a personal optimist for your own life and what you have going on, I don't see how it actually hurts at all. Yep. I would 100% agree with that. So talk about the beliefs, the, the things to your core that you believe that helps you and will help others be successful. Uh, it's hard work. I, I, I keep going back to that. But if you don't put in the elbow grease, you don't get to complain if things don't work yeah. out. there. And then dig in. There's no guarantee. Like that's, there is no guarantee that hard work will pay off. There is none. There's like, there are no guarantees about anything. And there are definitely no guarantees about that. But I can guarantee that a lack of hard work will not work. <laughs> and I will say there are people, there are people whose work I don't like. There are people whose work that I don't agree with. There are people who's, who are successful. That I'm like, you know what? I wish you weren't successful because I don't like the work that you right. do, but they work hard. Like they're just, I've yet to find anyone who who is uh, who is still relevant and important to the field that they're in that doesn't work hard. It's just it's a thing that crosses over yeah. every industry, and I it's to me it's a non-negotiable. A hundred percent farmers' work ethic, right? So uh, talk about actions. So when you think to your days, I mean, what were the actions that you knew you had to do every single day? Give us a glimpse of what those looked like. Well, it's funny. I now write all the time. I write constantly. I never, I'm just always writing. I'm at the minute I finish with this podcast, I will start writing something else. I'm always writing. And so. So let me interrupt you there. So like, what are you like? Are you just making up topics in your head or is somebody said just sports illustrated says, Hey, well, we need this, this, and this within like the next 60 days. It's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. I think part of okay. it is getting the reputation of someone that listen, editors don't want you to have to, they don't want to have to come up with ideas for you. They don't want to hold your hand. Right. Your your job right. is to make things easier for them. And so therefore, I feel like kind of the one of the important things is to uh, come up with my own ideas, not have them wait around and be ready when they need be. So the, when you do that, inevitably, you just end up with a bunch of work because <laughs> yeah. they, they, yep. they, they, they want you to do that. Um, so I would say that uh, for me, I have to put the same level of commitment 
into um, a piece that's going to be written by five people or a piece that's going to be written by uh, five million people or a piece that pays me a lot of money and a piece that pays me not very much uh, or even for free if I feel like it's for a publication that I care about. Uh, I've always joked about this. I, I I feel like the world would have been a better place if uh, if so if social media places, particularly Twitter, did not put numbers on how many people were reading what you were doing or how many people yep. were following you. Because the the you need to do everything that you do as if everyone in the world is watching or no one is watching. Like that that can't be the motivator if you want to truly like do things for the right reasons is what I would say. So, so for me, so I wrote for a long time. Once I, when I, no one was reading me and no one was paying me, I still got in the habit of writing every day, no matter what, even if I had nothing to say, another Roger Ebert line is that the muse visits during the, uh, the, the act of creation, not before, which is to say, don't just sit around and wait for something to come up. Just sit down and start typing and something come up. And, and, uh, and I feel like that's the right attitude. And I wrote about that wrote for years and years and years, uh, with nobody reading it and nobody paying me, but I knew if I ever got to the time where people were paying me and were reading it, I would be in the habit of producing things. I would be in the habit of not being like, Oh my gosh, I have so much work to do. Yep. That's the job. And so right. for me, I wanted to be prepared to, if, if the opportunities did ever come, I'd be able to handle them rather than being overwhelmed by them. Well, I think too, what your, your, your key point there is the habit, right? And so whether like even my little habit of reading 10 pages every single day, it's a habit. And so if I read 30 books this year and, and Will Leach reads no books, and then we take that out five years, who's going to be better off, me or you? Yeah, I mean, right. more than likely me if I'm reading yeah, right, some right. I'm reading exactly. good stuff, right? Exactly, putting good things in my mind. So, so what would you uh, go back and tell the Will Leach 15 years ago? What would you tell that young man? Uh, warn him away from being to as committed to Illinois basketball as he was because it's not <laughs> going to pay off the way that you think it's going to. I would say that the main thing to tell him would be don't sweat your mistakes too much. Be a little kinder to people around you one thing that i was a little bad i was never mean to i don't like i don't like at least i I hope not i wasn't trying to be uh but i was so focused on what i was doing and sometimes i would put other people secondary to that sometimes i wish i would be maybe be a little kinder uh sometimes i was never cruel to why i don't think so but certainly you know when you're telling a 28 year old kid that uh uh that's trying to sing for a supper and trying to, to bust through. That's the only thing that matters. And I think sometimes, you know, there were, uh, there were probably friendships and even relationships that were probably cost in that time. Cause I was so focused on what I want, what I was doing. Yeah. I would probably tell him to relax on that a little bit. Uh, but work wise, keep doing it, man. Like just work. I'm proud. I am proud of 2003. Will Leach in that way in that, uh, he didn't care that no one, he didn't care that no one was reading him at all. <laughs> he just kept <laughs> producing. I'm proud of him for that. It's a humbling moment and can only get up, go up from here. Right. That's the, yeah. hope. <laughs> that's the hope. So talk to us about this newsletter. You've got tinyletter.com slash William F Leach. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, so I uh, basically, I because I write for so many different places, as I write for MajorLeagueBaseball.com, I write for the New York Magazine, I write for the New York Times, I write for, for I do a show for Sports Illustrated, I have all these podcasts, I do a podcast on the Cardinals, by the way, with Bernie Miklas uh, from the St. Louis. Amen. Oh, he's all from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Uh, so I do so many things, and I, if I worked for, say, ESPN, all those places would be under one umbrella, and so I could just point you to that page and say, here, all the stuff that I make, here it is. Uh, so because I do, I do that right for so many different places, and I have I'm all kind of all over the place. And I think expecting every fan of mine to track down everything is, is perhaps unrealistic. I uh, have a newsletter where I write an original essay every week. It's kind of a more personal essay. Uh, I, I write an original essay every week. And then and at the end, there's links to all of my work uh, for the week. It's tinyletter.com slash William F. Leach. And it, it, uh, I think it's a better way to see my work than Twitter. Twitter, I feel like, is just basically people yelling at each other all the time. So I'll yep. use it to promote, promote my work. But I tend to stay out of some of the more contentious conversations on there. And more just, uh, I, you know, part of what I do is to try to be a little bit more thoughtful and understand that I don't like a world where people are on opposite sides just screaming at one another. I yep. think most people are actually in real life more reflective than that. Uh, I just think social media kind of exacerbates kind of our worst instincts sometimes. So I, uh, so my newsletter is basically just a way for people to find all of my stuff. For anyone that like, if you listen to this, they're like, hey, I that, that that guy sounds vaguely interesting. I don't know why you would think that, but if you had that thought, that would be the way to kind of catch everything that I do would be through that newsletter. Got it. Yeah, like today you talked about raising boys in today's world. It's it, it's a different world than when we grew up, right? And uh, you know, I, was, I always thought of you as a sports guy, but that was a good article today. So, oh awesome. yeah, thank you. Well, one of the great things about writing about sports is you're really writing about the world. Yeah. <laughs> you're writing about the world, and uh, and for me, that is a uh, uh, a conduit to where I've never understood the idea of just to write about sports or just to write about movies, just write about politics. I, I'm a writer. I'm a, a just write about my observations in the world. I'm I'm very lucky to get to do it. Amen. And so, tell us about your podcast. What's the name of the podcast with Bernie? Uh, it's called Seeing Red. Seeing Red is a, a weekly podcast about the Cardinals. Uh, to Bernie Miklas is – I think I've been reading Bernie Miklas since high school. Oh, yeah. So uh, so to get to talk to Bernie Miklas about the Cardinals every week is, frankly, I don't really care if anybody listens to it because I'm just so <laughs> right. excited that I get to do it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, is, he's a delight to get to talk to, and I'm very lucky to be able to talk about what should be a pretty fascinating Cardinal season. Amen. I hope, I hope it's a very, very good season. So, well, uh, Will, it's been great having you. Where can our listeners find you as we speak of social media here? Where can they find more of you there? I am on Twitter at uh, William F. Leach, L-E-I-T-C-H. And I have a personal site. If you just type in Will Leach into Google, my personal site will come up. Uh, There's a Wikipedia page, but please don't vandalize it. Don't don't, don't hammer me on Wikipedia. (laughs) Uh, Every once in a while, uh, you have to go and clean it up a little bit. But uh, yeah, uh, Twitter and probably the the, the newsletter is probably the best way to find it. All right. Well, it's been great having you, my friend, and it's been a while. And so it's great to reconnect and talk with you. And uh, good luck to you. Continue to do great work. And uh, we'll keep watching your career, my friend. Uh, It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, go Green Wave. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 